Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast. It's a parenting podcast where you can detox from the world around you, get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and um, this month um, we are just taking a little bit of of more uh, serious note. Um, We are trying to bring in different peoples and perspectives to really give you um, a way to process maybe everything you're thinking and feeling um, during this time. And if you want to know how to start, I have constantly been saying, listen and learn. That was the name of the episode um, previous to this one. And so we're going to continue that mantra throughout this month. We're going to have members of the LGBTQ plus community on sharing their perspectives of what pride month historically means to them, as well as what it means right now. We're going to have other people on to share their perspectives. Um, and we're just continuing the dialogue and furthering the journey of all the work that needs to be done. Um, so on today's episode, I speak to my good friend, Cody Ballou. He, um, is a musician most famously known for his appearance on the voice season three. He was on team CeeLo and he finished, I believe in the top eight. Um, I do a deep dive with him and his career and his time on the voice on my other podcast, my music podcast after the encore. Uh, so his episode is on after the encore volume two, this is the voice he's track three or episode three, if you will. So if you want to hear about his life, his career and his time on the voice, definitely go check that out. Uh, today we are just talking about race and what can we do? How can we further the conversation? So Cody and I get into a lot of great topics and uh, I I think you're really going to enjoy it. So stick around. We'll be right back after this. Uh, Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I am honored to have uh, my good friend, Cody Ballou, on the show. Cody, how are you doing today? You know, um, if it's just me in my own little bubble, I'm great, but it's me as a citizen of the world. I am alarmed and activated and uh, vocal, I guess is the best way to put it. Right, definitely. But I'm happy to be here with you today. Yes. Thank you for that. I know that um, typically the show is very upbeat and funny and we've got dad jokes and we do all this stuff. So we're not doing that today. It's definitely a much somber um, focus and tone. And I think it's because of the seriousness of everything going on to echo what you had just said. But I think there's a lot of really good topics and questions to dive into. And and one of the things I really want to start out with uh, right now, uh, June is... Uh, historically LGBTQ plus Pride Month. And since you are a member of the community, I wanted to really start out by asking you, what has Pride Month historically meant for you? And then kind of juxtapose that with what it means for you today. Okay, that's a great question. Um, and you know I'm long-winded, so I'll try to be, no, I'll try to be concise. You're good. Um, you know, for me, Pride Month, has been a journey because um, when I was younger, let's say when I was in my early 20s, after I had pretty much resolved to the fact that this was who I was and there wasn't any changing it, um, Pride Month was scary because 
you know, you have to put it in context because I was from a, a very small town in a very small state that right. I, I just remember uh, our capital city didn't have a pride parade, but there was a town smaller called Conway. And there was a gay couple that lived in Conway. I don't know what they what their jobs were, but they had this big Victorian house downtown that they had painted bright pink. And huh. they did this because they were sort of out and proud and this is who we are. And they orchestrated a pride parade in Conway. And the night before the parade, someone drove the route with an, uh, with a trailer load of horse manure and dumped it along the route in the street. Oh. And so they had the parade anyway, of course. You know, a little horse shit isn't going to stop us. Right. But they um, that's what I knew it to be. And then when I would see... The little, because back then it wasn't covered as as widely, you know, and it wasn't such a universal right. thing. And when I would see little clips of it on the news or, or whatever in big cities with big floats, and I would see all these, you know, half naked gay guys and right. you know confetti cannons and drag queens, <laughs> it was so overstimulating. It might as well have been the troll movie, you know. Right. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I just didn't know how to absorb that and and i had my own oppression to work through because i was sort of um i was projecting that on that whole scene of like y'all don't need to be acting like that there's a there's another way to do it Um, right what i have sort of evolved into is that everybody has to celebrate their own pride in their own way in whatever way is comfortable to them. Right. Um, I certainly celebrate it. Um, I haven't ever gotten to go to a, a big per- pride. It seems like I'm always working, like I have a gig somewhere, because it's right in the middle of summer when everybody's wanting music. Right. Um, <laughs> but I will say that after The Voice, um, I could have worked solidly for two years on with just offers to play this pride or this white party or this gay cruise or this thing. And I just was so afraid of that pigeonholing me um, career wise. Uh, And that was, that was just in 2012. So to, and I, so I I didn't take any of them actually. I turned them all down. Wow. Um, And I don't know that I would have done it differently and I don't that's not because I'm ashamed of of any of that. I just it's one of those things in business as a black person or as a gay person, you have to sometimes make decisions that you wouldn't normally necessarily make. Right. And I was looking at the long game there and I just didn't want people to look at my roster of live shows and see only gay things because they would just think that that was the only audience I could or wanted to sing to. Right. Um, so that was, you know, and I'm, I was still evolving and, and, uh, t- and until now, uh, I feel like I 
I hope to always be be evolving, but but that this particular moment in time, I am so proud of how far it has come. Even I'm even proud of the way corporate America um, gets behind pride, even if it is a little bit of a backhanded compliment because sure. they're trying to move product or whatever. Right. But I, I still think that it moves the needle forward. And yeah. um, the way pride is celebrated on a global scale now um, is, is just hugely important. Um, and I think that Pride Month, ne- this, this time around, could still be celebrated, but but the focus could be, um, the focus could be focused is what I wanted to say. I don't know if that's how you would say that, but yeah, if, yeah, if, if, it, it could be just um, um, concentrated on those of us that are black and brown, um, right? Because that is a whole nother level of of racism to be black and brown and also gay right. or, and also trans. I mean, yeah, the, the amount of trans people of color that have been murdered and left and nobody will ever know who they were or, and they'll never be counted. Um, right. that is a big, a big doozy right there. Right. And to circle back on the, uh, pink, house that you were referencing. Uh-huh. I did find it. Um, it is, there's an article actually online that I'll link in the show notes. Um, it's 1605 Robinson Avenue, uh, the pink yeah. house. And it yeah. was, or is a 3,053 square foot Victorian era house built in 1917, bought in 86 for a thousand dollars, just $1,000 by Bobby Lloyd and John Schink, uh, who were well-known activists in the community. Um, they had the house for 30 years, transformed it from brown to pink, and they took in countless young people who had been rejected by their families because of their sexual orientation. Um, Lloyd passed away in December 2015, and Schink passed away in 2016. But they, they, yeah, they were officially, they did get officially married before they passed away on August 22nd, 2015 after the Marriage Equality Act. so mm. Well, th- way to go you, Data, from <laughs> Star Trek Enterprise, looking that right up. <laughs> well, there should really be a monument to them, and now that I know that, I didn't know they had p- both passed away. I didn't know either of them had passed away. But I should gather up some of my Arkansas friends, and we should we should pull that off, because that, that needs to be... That needs to be remembered. That they yes. were. I mean, for people like me, they were, <laughs> they were the ones who were so brave. And I just thought I could never be like them, right? Because I'm trying to be this or that. I, I could never be like them because they're ostracized and and you know nobody wants them around. That's why they painted their house pink because they were just like, screw you, you know? Right. Exactly. But anyway. No, you're good. Um, I just wanted to circle back on that because I went, hmm, I got to hear about this pink house in the middle of nowhere, uh, Arkansas. Um, yeah. But uh, but to your point about the fact that I think that, I think you're absolutely right that 
Pride Month for this year is really a focus on um, the the current struggles and the work that still needs to be done. And you specifically mm-hmm. mentioned um, black trans individuals who are killed at historically high rates. I mean, just as an example, r- as recently as May 27th, Tony McDade was uh, shot. Uh, he was a 38-year-old African-American trans man, transgender man, Tony McDade. He was fatally shot in the Leon Arms apartment complex by an officer of the Tallahassee Police Department. So mm-hmm. there you go. And and that was a name that I was not familiar with until um, one of my friends who is a member of the LGBTQ plus community uh, pointed it out. Um, because I think it's important that we, um, just like with George Floyd and um, Tony McDade and the countless others. Um, it's important to say their names, remember their names, and to continue to to speak up and have um, voices be heard for change to be enacted. And mm. one of the things that I'm struggling with um, is what to do as a white man in America. And the thing that I've been sitting and doing a lot of is listening and learning. I mean... Mm-hmm. It's so easy to want, it's easy to want to act and do something. And I think the thing that is most needed right now is for me to listen to others who have experiences their whole lives, learn from them, learn how to, um, to be a better ally. And I think it starts in the home. Um, educating your kids, reading them stories, introducing them to people that they may not historically be introduced to in school, um, starting the foundation now uh, so that way our, our children and can grow up understanding the inequality that's been in the country and in the world forever. And they can work now to realize it's not right and to stand up and, and move forward. Um, but question, another question I have for you at this point is what has been, um, cause now, you know, as two white men talking about, mm-hmm. talking about race, um, which we're ill-equipped to do, um, what has been something that you've been doing, uh, over the past, even just a couple of days? Well, I have been on the quest the peeling back the layers of the the institutionalized and systemic racism onion okay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for a num a couple of years um i would say for the past nine years so i'm not i'm not new to the party right i, I guess and when i say party i mean the the work of digging into my own psyche and subconscious. Right. Okay. Yep. Um, the past few days, I have been taking what. So, like for for example, I I follow uh, a very very eloquent activist named Sean King mm-hmm. on. Instagram. Um, he's widely followed and, and widely known. Um, one of the reasons I follow him is because he would he would never t- 
take this mantle on. I'm just going to say it from my own perspective. He is the the embodiment of the Martin Luther King figure right this second. Gotcha. And that he gives, and again, I'm probably speaking out of turn because I'm not black. Sure. But I feel like he gives a focal point to people, something for everyone to put their hand out and form a bridge for him to stand on. Right. And then whatever he spotlights and organizes becomes can become a global trend. Right. You know, it's like the the Ahmad Arbery situation. That became uh so much of a of a quickly known thing because of the work he was doing. Right. There are probably others, uh, but for me um he is the one that he's the pulse that I've got my finger on, okay? Yeah. And so and there and I have a few other places that I go to online uh and some other um African American friends that I for sure whatever they're paying attention to I stand back and I and I take it in for my own for my own human experience and then I amplify it so when you say this is the time to listen it is it is then the next the next step in that journey is to amplify right because I understand that I have a largely white audience, right? Um, based on the metrics of Facebook and whatever, it's largely female. Um, well, in different places, but it's like I think it's like twenty-five to forty something is the is my main age age demographic, sure. and that's a that's an important number because that's the age that has the I feel like has the most um of the systemic racism to wash out. Right. The people that are older than that of course need to do the work. We all need to do the work. But that's the age group that for the next forty years could really get some shit accomplished. Yeah. Um, not don't leave it to the to the younger kids. They're gonna do it anyway because they're already so much further ahead of us with being quote unquote woke. Right. And I don't even know if that word if kids are even saying that. <laughs> sure. But um, you know, I just feel like it is not the time for white people to be saying, "Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at what I support. Look at right. Look at." where I'm spending my money, you know, which charities I'm supporting. It's not, and so many people hear that and get immediately offended because they're still in their own feelings. Right. You got to, you have to put those in a drawer at home because this is not the time to have your own feelings. Right. It is the time to reflect the feelings of the people around you that are black and brown. And... For me, one thing that I need to say, and you might be getting to it later, but 
if you're listening, which I don't know anybody that would listen to this particular podcast who doesn't have black and brown friends, but right. maybe some people that I, that if I share this, let's say, and people <laughs> in my audience listen to this, if you can't think of anyone that you know that you could call and be like, hey girl, or whatever, on that that type of level of friendship that's a different color than you, that's where you need to start. Right. You need to reach out and find some friends. And I say that because, you know, people don't care about gay rights until somebody that they love turns out to be gay. People right. don't care about prison reform until somebody that they love goes to prison whether they're guilty of something or not right the prison system is broken is broke okay yeah um and so it you have to know somebody to care yeah and if you don't then you're forevermore going to be like well i of course i'm not racist i love all people and right it's just like that's not the point no it's not the point is that you pull up to a stop sign and don't think about rolling through the stop sign. But if you are black, you have to actually think about making the decision to roll through it. Right. Because if you get stopped, then they had a reason to stop you. And if they had a reason to stop you, then they have a reason to search your car. And so like whether you're doing anything or not, you still might end up dead. Right. And so um, I just feel like this is I I truly believe that this is such a paradigm shift. Like we are at a tipping point in the words of Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. Like this this is going to be a defining moment. Unfortunately, these past couple of weeks are going to be defined as the police losing their goddamn minds. Right. Um in a lot of places. But I think the big picture is going to be, wow, everybody. I mean, all 50 states have had yeah. protests. That's what's been now, the that's, craziest that's thing. Something. That's something. Yeah. So all 50 states, I feel like, have some version of pride. And now that all 50 states have some version of, of protest... You can't just, you can't tamp that out. Right. And, you know, Trump saying, I'm going to bring the military in, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. I just don't think. There's, you know. He's he's hanging on because he understands that his footing is gone. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's just grasping at straws now, if you ask me. You know, and I wanted to to circle back for a second on something you had said, which, which um, really resonated with me. And it was the fact that, you know, like you said, people don't care about certain rights until they know somebody personally that's in that situation. And, mm-hmm. and that's so true. And there's this, you know, I've talked about before on different episodes, but it's the like, it's the lack of contact bias, which is what's bringing people down in, in essence. And I explained it like this. Um, and previously I'd used it to, to talk about, um, transgender people, either men or women. 
And I said, you know, it's easy to put people in a box, a group of people in a box, call them names, give them labels, make broad sweeping assumptions of them. If you do not come in contact with them on a regular basis, if you don't personally know somebody that's in that group, if you're not interacting with them, it is super easy for you to no longer see the individuals as people, but to see them as a collective group that you can ascribe labels to. And that's a dangerous thing because this is how people can say, you know, well, all transgender people do this. All black people do this. All gay people do this. And Mm -hmm. that's not the case. We are all individual people with our own hopes and dreams and fears and people we love and things we get upset about and things that stress us out. We're all there and we all, and it's all different for everybody. And so the, the more you're able to get to know people on an individual level that are different either from how you look or how you were brought up or how you were raised, the better off you're going to be because you are now going to share um, space with somebody that has a different perspective than you and can educate you and will allow you to be a better person. And I think that is what we need a lot more of. And you're starting to see it. Like you said, a tipping point. I think people are, I think some people were already on the, path, but I think others are starting to wake up. To further that, if you if you in your heart have a hesitation to that idea of like reaching out and widening your and diversifying your friend portfolio. Right. <laughs> if that if that feels like if you hesitate to that notion, then you that says more about you than I think you want to say. Right. And that, I need to know who you are. Like, I'm to the point now where when it, we get, when we get closer to the November election, mm-hmm. I'm going to need for all the people who, you know how we all, forevermore, the the American way of voting is you don't talk about how how you voted. It's like a secret. Right, know? right. Husband and wives don't tell each other who they voted for. And I've always wondered why that is. And this particular time, I'm going to say <laughs> that if you if you voted for Trump, I need you to post it on my Facebook wall and let me know. Because I need to know who you are so that I can completely disconnect from you. Right. Because the time is, it's so volatile and crucial right now. It's almost, it reminds me so much of like the entire Star Wars saga. Like this is the Empire in real life. Right. And um, we cannot just sit by. And the people who support this administration and the way that this administration chooses to divide and conquer, I do not, I cannot have you in my life. Right. And it, I feel yeah. the same way about people who don't, 
who choose not to have any friends outside of their own um, color spectrum. Sure. sure. It <clears throat> it has been it has been astounding to me to see an administration that continually divides, doubles down on dividing and divisions. And it is the most ridiculous. It's, it's crazy. I mean, you know, I was born 87. And mm-hmm. so the first president I really remember is Clinton. Um, although mm-hmm. I know HW was in before, but Clinton to Bush to Obama and all three of them that I saw regularly, all I saw when moments maybe not like this, but moments of possible division would creep up. There was always an echo of, we have to come together. We have to band together. We are a United States of America. We are a United people. We'll get through this together. We'll work together. And I didn't see, you know, well, we would be able to come together if, you know, so-and-so over there in the Senate didn't just like cross his hands and be grumpy all day. It's like, what, what are you doing? What are you even doing right now? Why? And I, and I agree. I think you're right in that he knows it's slipping away. And so he's just doubling down, assuming that he's going to get to a point where he wins by the slimmest of margins, but a win's a win. Well, and if you think about it, the old presidential way of handling these types of situations, which is sort of to dissolve it, right? Um, right and 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 pray for peace and kumbaya that actually worked um in the opposite way you think that it did because it's it it did it it was effective in silencing the progress of the movement hmm that's a good point so in That's a, a good way, point. by Trump being so, so terrible at this idea of being a positive leader and a voice of reason, you've seen how these crowds, with everything Trump has done as a reaction to this, yeah, it has caused the crowds to double and triple and quadruple. And then you've got this bridge in Portland where everybody is laying down on it, where there's no – you'd have to blow the bridge up to get them to move. I mean, right. this – it's kind of like he's he, – he doesn't understand psychology to the point that he's thinking by being this bully pulpit guy, he's going to somehow uh, – outstrength people because he's going to use the full force of the presidential office but in reality the mockery of it is making people be like fuck that we're coming out you know and so i think it's actually been good for the movement let the police act up i mean i don't like that people are getting really terribly brutalized and that right. you're seeing people die and hospital p- kids losing eyes and all the all, all kinds of ho- horrific things right. but if you didn't pull the curtain back and show people just how unprepared for 
um, civil unrest the police are in a lot of these places, then right. you'd never know. But at least now we know that the police in New York City need to they they all need to be expelled, and we gotta bring them in one at a time. And and there's got to be a whole list of tests you got to pass before you can come back. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and for those wondering, I did not know about the bridge in Portland. I just looked it up, and it's Burnside Bridge in Portland. It was yesterday. Yes. Where it was f- yesterday evening, so they might be doing it right now. But yesterday, June 3rd evening, it was the fifth time in a row where uh, the Portland streets were flooded with people um, partaking in unignorable, was the word that was mm-hmm. used, protests. And ensuring that the message was heard, they shut down the Burnside Bridge as thousands upon thousands lay in the streets, making it impossible for vehicles. They to would have pass. had to have dra- They would have had to have dragged every one of them mm-hmm. one at a time off that bridge. Yeah, and by that, their feet. Yeah, and that wasn't going to happen. One um, no, and you know it's um, it's something where I've chatted about this before in other conversations, whether on this podcast or others, but it's something where. Um, you know, I think having, I mean, this, uh, this discussion of racial inequality goes back far beyond our time on this earth, but mm-hmm. it, I think you started seeing the movement in political circles when you had president Obama take office, because that was when you started seeing a lot of the um, public political bickering, public political maneuvering, public um, spitefulness is really the only way I can f- phrase it. And I started reading um, last year and I finished it. It was, um, and I highly recommend this in, um, to anybody that wants to just educate yourself. And especially if you're a white listener who's wanting to know where should you start as far as educating yourself. One of the books I highly recommend is by Tennessee Coates, and it's a book called We Were mm. eight, eight Years in Power. And it is eight chapters. It is um, an essay he wrote for The Atlantic, um, one for each year of Obama's administration, and he writes his follow-up thoughts to the piece. Um, so he writes his perspective now, like years later, looking back on each piece, and then you get to read his piece in full. It's it's fantastic. And that was actually, truthfully, the first time where I had heard about um, redlining happening. Oh, yeah. I'd never even heard about that before the book. So get, there, your, get yourself a belly full of that. Yeah. So uh, for um, for those that don't know, I'll just give you a, a brief um, Wikipedia definition of redlining. But it's the systematic denial of various services by federal government agencies, local governments, as well as the private sector, to residents of specific neighborhoods or communities, either directly or through the selective raising of prices. Um, so yeah, the and US let me go- dumb that down. Yeah, sure. So if you're sitting at home thinking, well, I mean, you know, that, why do they why do they live in the ghetto? Like, why is everything? Yes. Uh, all everything's run down because they don't take care of anything and everything's dirty and everybody's poor and everybody's on welfare. Um, the government created that 
for a reason. They didn't they didn't put themselves there. Right. They were they that they, they were put in a situation in in districts, in neighborhoods that were then essentially with this invisible red line, well, it wasn't invisible, it was on there are maps right. of it that some institutions even though it's not legal still use these red line maps to decide where they invest and what property value looks like. Right. And the point of it that has worked so well is if you create a cyclical environment of oppression based on starting with where somebody lives, then some people can't get out of it. Right. They can't because it's it starts with where they live, which directly decides how the schools are funded in right. that neighborhood because public school funding is based on property tax and property value. Yep. So if you're poor and then your children go to the school in the neighborhood that they live because that's how public school systems work, then they're not being educated to the fullest extent of the capacity of public education. Right. The way that the white kids in the neighborhood across the or literally across the red line yep. are educated. And so then they grow up and then now you've got one generation that is trapped and then they have children in there. I mean, it is built and it was created to keep black people oppressed. Yeah. Period. It started in nineteen thirty three. Um, mm-hmm. as part of the New Deal and state-sponsored segregation. And I believe it was within that book. I was trying to find um, a reference online quickly, and I was not able to. Um, but as I recall, so that in that book, We Were Eight Years in Power was the first time I had heard about redlining. And as I understand it, and I might be misquoting it, so I do apologize. Please Google fact check me. But as I understand it, that was the way FDR was able to get a lot of the Republican politicians yeah. on his side was by the bargaining chip of redlining. Mm-hmm. And if they could draw the lines and determine where people were, they would agree to this New Deal government-sponsored program. And that's why it was such a bipartisan um, success um, on paper. And that was not... It left me with a horrible feeling in my stomach. But I say all that to say, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates talks about how um, there was this unrest because historically in America, while you might have um, people of color in positions of power, there was still this idea that the White House was untouchable, even if it was unspoken. And it was always a white man. It was always, that was the way that things were broken down. Um, it's like in church, uh, you used to always hear people say, well, only a man can be a pastor. A woman can be a children's minister, but she can't be a pastor. Um, it was this ridiculous idea that this is the way the power structure is divided. And then when you have a black man come and take the highest office in the land, then people who are already have that systemic racism built in and may or may not be aware of it, start getting more upset, more outrageous, more spiteful, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you kind of fast forward to where we are. So definitely pick that up. And I think you were about to say something. So I'll kick it over to you. Well, <laughs> I have, there's a couple of things because that is so, you have jam-packed that one little segment full of, <laughs> of things. But let me try to get to three points. Sure. One is redlining 
I truly believe should be the chapter one, sentence one of where people should start unraveling racism. Right. If you start there, everything else will make sense to you. Down to the down to how you're you I can say this because I know how white people think because right. I'm white. But when you're sitting in your comfortable home in your beautiful neighborhood where everybody waves and howdy do's and all these things, which may have a couple of black families in it, and you're wondering, man, I mean, wh- why are they so mad? I don't understand. Sure, I, I, I get that they're mad that the police are, are killing black men and women, but those guys are, are now in jail. Why are they still mad? We gave them that one. Right. If you will start at redlining, you your eyes will be opened, and you will start to get uncomfortable in your own home. Yeah. Because, in a way, you don't deserve it. Yeah. You only got it. You only got the loan that you got. And, you, and your neighborhood only got to be built up the way that it was because it wasn't redlined. Right. And that is the first brick in the racism sidewalk to me. Yep. The next thing is the reason President Trump is, a, is, a, is the direct reaction from white America that for so long could be racist without being overtly racist. You know, you you right. could you could high five black people at a football game and say that you weren't racist. But when we when everyone outvoted them and and got Obama elected, and I say everyone meaning the black people and a lot of liberal thinking people, right? Right. Uh, unfortunately, you have to have been a liberal-thinking person to elect a black man. That's how backwards this is. Right. But when that happened, like you said, they were like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Now <laughs> we don't, we ain't, we don't, we ain't doing that. Right. And that is, if Obama hadn't happened, Trump would have would not have happened. That was a direct response. Yep. Um. And the last piece that I want to unload is, um, just in case we don't get to it, all of these people that are so uncomfortable with why, why does it have to turn violent, and why, why can't y'all just, why can't it just be peaceful and everybody sing and hold candlelight vigils and then go home at eight, you know? Right. We have five federal holidays that celebrate the most violent moments in America's history. First of all. Right. Martin Luther King, who preached and practiced, you know, peaceful protesting, right? Right. When he was assassinated, they're what they were burning America down, okay? Yeah. I don't know how many days in a row, but on the sixth day of that is when the Civil Rights Act was passed. Right. That wasn't going to happen 
I don't care who who you call. That was not going to happen. Right. Unless the people had responded in the way that they did. Yep. Those officers would not have been arrested and charged the way that they've been arrested and charged. So for white people or and if you happen to maybe be a person of color because I've seen some Hispanic Republicans that I don't really understand. But anyway, um, I just have a big problem with the people that are that say, well, why can't they just be peaceful about it? If, if everybody you knew had been kicked in the back their whole life, Yep. How would you act? Right. Fortunately and and, yeah. uh, and unfortunately, most of these white people don't will never know how that feels. And I know that you cannot compare being gay to being black. You cannot do it. But what you can do, there is a whole set of discrimination, oppression, and violence that comes with being out as a gay person. Right. And so you at least have read the starter pack on what it feels like, even though you'll never know fully what it means, because you still have white privilege. Let's just call it what it is. Right. And so... I don't really want to hear and care to hear. I had to carve, literally carve a person out of my life this week because I do not, and I'm not mad about it. I'm happy to do it because now is not the time for your lukewarm response to this. Right. We got to be hot. Yeah. And if you're not hot, it's because you you're not uncomfortable yet. It's yeah. like P flag, you know. I'm trying yeah. to bring all. I'm trying to work gay in here because this <laughs> is about Pride Month. Right. But you know, the parents of P flag, lots of those people started out not liking their kids coming out. Right. Some of them lost their children to suicide or whatever it is. The reason they became so vocal and so passionate about the cause to the point that they, some of them started pride parades in towns where they didn't exist. It's P-Flag that did that. Yep, that's true. It's because they were finally touched by it. it they got a taste in their mouth that they did not like. Right. And fortunately and unfortunately for the white community at large on the planet Earth, forever, well, unless you go all the way back to like the Romans persecuting the so-and-sos and and the so-and-sos persecuting the other so-and-sos. Right. But modern history, you're so comfortable, white people. Your hands are so clean. Yeah. Your Your mortgages are clean. Everything's clean. So how could you understand what it means to be mad? Right. And so mad and so tired that you feel like, let the motherfuckers kill me today because I can't do it tomorrow. Right. And I, 
that's that's how I feel. So yep, and you know it was. Um, I've said this before, and it's not. I think it's along the lines that you're talking about the starter pack of understanding. But I think mm-hmm. you know I I was someone who walked through my life very oblivious to a lot of the um, struggles that literally everybody else in the world has, and. You know, I, I, it was at the point when I started having close friends who were members of the LGBTQ plus community or different friends who were, um, you know, either black, brown, et cetera, um, just different friends of color. Then I started hearing them and listening to them and hearing their perspectives. But um, one of the things that resonated with me was when I had a daughter, my eyes were opened up to how radically sexist and misogynistic the yeah. world is and that's when i went all right we got a lot of work to do i can't get yourself some of that you know i mean <laughs> it was like it was at that point where i was like we got a lot of work to do i gotta i can't have my daughter going out in this world like this mm-hmm. it's got to change and and to you know we got a same thing with race same thing with everything that's going on we can't send our kids out into this we gotta we got a lot of work to do and as we're as we're wrapping up here I wanted to touch on one thing you had said, and then I want to ask one final question. But to your point about when people are saying, why can't they have peaceful protests? I've seen this. I know it's been shared ad nauseum, but it's worth repeating. Colin Kaepernick tried peacefully protesting, and people got outraged about it. He tried just peacefully protesting to start a dialogue, and people ran him out of the NFL. So there you go. And a a good thing that I read... I love when, when, I love, first of all, when Trump had a tweet from like 2014 <laughs> when he's blasting somebody and it can be used today against right. him. Yeah. So the Colin Kaepernick stuff, um, you may remember or you may not, but the there were a large group of mostly white people who were burning their Nike merch. Yeah. Yes. As a response yes. to Colin Kaepernick and Nike standing bes- beside him. Yes, that's right. So you just have to be, you just have to feel a certain way about a certain topic before you react with violence. Yeah. Um. So there's that. Yep. Final question um, before we wrap up. Uh, I know that there are people listening who either maybe driven to action for the first time or who may be sitting here wanting to know what else they can do. Um, I know we've talked about a lot of advice, a lot of things that you can do. What is, what is a resource or a book or um, you gave some good people to follow, but maybe what's a, a book or a show or just something that people can use as a starting point. I talked about when we were um, eight years, we were eight years in power by Tennessee Coates. Coates. Um, but I'd love to get your perspective on, different uh, either black authors or musicians or filmmakers or whoever well i think um like i said before sean king is hugely influential and it's and for somebody who's new to this whole thing um he's just like a professor of it to me so Mm. you can follow along it's so clear cut. Like he's not he's not going into gray area topics. He's going into like that just happened. 
what are we going to do about it? Right. Um, I think that you should. Well, there's there's a there there's a a light-hearted way to do this. If you would just watch the show Blackish, yeah. Um, there are so many things nuanced in that show that they talk about. Some of it is subtle, some of it is um, overt. But right. seeing a black, a normal, and I, I say the word normal from the white lens. Sure, okay? sure. A, a regular black family, an everyday black family, that the point is that they look just like a white family. Right. It's two parents that work who have kids that are sometimes dysfunctional and how they navigate through that. Right. Um, watch some of that. And then if you want to watch like the uh, master's class version of that, it's really funny. But on Netflix, watch Black AF. Which oh, yeah, is yeah, yeah. From the point of view of the man who wrote the show. And right. he, I think he actually stars in it with. Um, with with Rashida Jones playing his wife, and yes. it is really funny. But he's constantly talking about, um, you know, that institutionalized systemic racism from from a funny point of view. Because at some sometimes it's so it's so sad. It's funny, right? Um, so if you if you just need like a um, pop culture reference point, do that. If you need to have your soul ripped open and some of God poured into it, listen to Maya Angelou read her book, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Mm. Yes. Now, if you can get through that, listening to that God creature read her own words about her own life. She was born in Arkansas, where I'm from. Yep. In a town that's probably not so different than it was when she lived when she grew up there. Right. But um it you won't if you're unchanged by that, then I can't help you. Yep. First of all. So um and it, she reads it, it's so captivating, you know, and she's so visually um, advanced in the way that she writes because she's Maya Angelou. Right. You can see it all so clearly, and it's easy to do when you're driving back and forth from work to to turn that on your, your app, whatever one you use for listening to books. Um so that's a that's a source. There's also a podcast that is incredible. Season one has happened. It's called uh, six. I think it's called sixteen nineteen. Okay. I turned my phone off for this podcast. Maybe <laughs> I could Google it real quick. But anyway, it's I'll wherever check. you listen to podcasts. Let me just see. Uh, sixteen nineteen podcast. Yeah, it's sixteen nineteen. Yes. And it basically by the New York Times. Yep, and it traces the um, 
it traces the from the first African slave that stepped foot on U.S. soil, but it 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 jumps around, you know, from different. Um, it's not like a a story about one slave and through their life. It's different pieces of the of the black experience sure. in in the United States. Sure. Um it's great it's great. So those that's like I've already said starter pack, but that's a good <laughs> starter pack if you are just realizing that we all have inherent racism yep. in us. Yep. It's you have to start by admitting that. You yep. just do. Um That's good. No, I like, yeah, I like it. And so I do want to say a couple things, um, here at the end. Um, if you have liked listening to Cody and you want to know more and you go, wait a minute, I recognize that guy from the voice. Why didn't we go into that? I do want to tell you there's a two hour podcast that goes into it. Go listen to after the encore, my other podcast, and you can listen to volume two. This is the voice. Track three is Cody blue. We dive into his whole music career and we talk about the voice. You can go listen to that for sure. Um, in addition, um, what I've been doing for every episode this month, um, I am having one of my favorite songs by one of my favorite artists. His name is fantastic Negrito. He's a black blues musician. He has this fantastic song called in the pines from his album, the last days of Oakland. And it was a folk song originally yeah, performed yeah, by lead belt. I think it was lead lead belly. I think that was correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so he reworked it a bit, made it very haunting. And in his music video, he is talking about um, p- police brutality and violence against black men and the, the, the repercussions it has on their moms um, specifically. Okay. And, um, and in fact, there's a line in there. They changes up for it called, um, uh, you raise the sun all by yourself and then the policeman shot him down. Um, mm. and so I've been putting that, uh, last episode and all of the subsequent episodes for this month, uh, it's going to end with that song in full. So you'll hear that. And then I usually will go and, and think about a different hashtag for each episode. Uh, we're not going to do that. Um, I don't want to disrupt the black lives matter algorithms either. So we're going to use hashtag listen and learn for all of these podcasts. Cause I think it's important for all of us white folks to listen and learn. Um, so there was all that. Um, and before we wrap, Cody, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, the best way, I think, would be to start on Instagram. It's at Cody Ballou. That's B as in boy, E-L-E-W. Um, I'm on Facebook both as myself and as my music superhero self <laughs> um there two one is if like a page um the other is an, an account um you're welcome to see me there but mostly all i'm posting these days are amplifications of the things that i'm seeing my uh, my black and brown friends and heroes posting right um so that's that's where you find me, and you can find me in Nashville, Tennessee, if you want to come scream at me on my front porch for anything I've said today. <laughs> <laughs>
Because I'm ready. Right, right. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Well, uh, Cody, thank you again so much for coming and just helping us continue this dialogue. It's very valuable and important. I, I appreciate it. It's good work, and I'm glad that we're both doing it, and there's so much left to do, so let's get let's get busy. Let's get it. All right. Well, listeners, we'll be back with more content throughout the rest of this month. I cannot tell you exactly when it's going to release, but I can tell you there's going to be at least one episode per week, if not more. I'm still thinking about how best to deliver content in this month and in the wake of everything going on. But until next time, hashtag listen and learn, and as always, hashtag be a better dad. In the pine